that is the very flowery and, uh, to my way of thinking, very memorable intro and concluding music to Jacques Demy's film from about 1965 entitled Bay of Angels with Jean Moreau. And um, it's striking because it accompanies a change of heart, a change of being, a change of entire activity and action and direction on the part of the heroine, the female lead of the movie, in the midst of a... uh, a compelling gambling addiction that is striking and strikes you when you see it as a kind of total surprise out of the blue with which the um, composer and the director, Demi and Legrand, that mean together, uh, begin and end this film about the impossibility and yet the total possibility of human um, uh, change of course. And I want to talk to you a little bit today in episode 242 entitled Bay of Angels about the possibility of change of course in a human being and what it actually entails, if it ever happens at all. And there are really two points I'd like to make. And the uh, um, See the movie, by the way. It's easily available, and it's wonderful. Uh, really, for the last uh, 20 seconds minimum, maybe the last 10 seconds of the movie. But it uh, reveals a truth that a number of his films uh, also reveal, but not quite as dramatically or stunningly. Um, about the nature of uh, of change. Now, I want to uh, sort of um, circle this theme by talking about something that I encounter all the time, and it's the um, the protestations of people in the Christian world, especially those who want to emphasize the grace of God or the one way, love and mercy and absolution of God. The uh, tendency to um, to speak those remarkable words of the Lord and of Saint Paul and of the heart, the heart of God to um, to the world in general terms, but when it comes down to their specific impact, completely and totally reneging on them. This is a, a fact that you've seen all the time. Um, I read a blog or I read uh, some memes or I read uh, Instagram uh, um, statements or I see, um, I see and hear in sermons all the time something along these lines. God's office is at the end of your rope. Before you have even fallen, the very furthest you can fall, he has already traveled down to meet me. Meet, meet you. When you are at the very worst of your own shooting yourself in the foot, let alone life circumstances, disappointments, and human sin, your own, God has raced you to a finish, and he has, you know, raced me to the bar, and he is already there. And um, uh, there is no place on earth, there's no hell on earth, self-created or inflicted, where God is not already present in the person of his crucified and beloved son, Jesus Christ, who is there to lift up the fallen captives again and again and again, and uh, you will never fall so low that he has not already preceded you there. I mean, I have heard that um, that message um, again and again, and it is a wonderful message, but when it comes to down to the person, you know, I'm saying this to you, but it has nothing to do with anything real. I mean, if, if anything like that ever actually happened, are you kidding? I mean, th- I was telling somebody recently about... Uh, a situation where bishops have come down on the favor of law and absolute law in the theological sense and absolute condemnation and complete lack of mercy in regard to a particular situation. And um, and yet some of these bishops are the first ones who say this very kind of thing. And uh, e- e- and they're not even antinomians, quote, end of quote. Uh, they're always talking about God's mercy and forgiveness and inclusion. And, uh, you know, welcome to this, to the most 
downtrodden of all. But when it comes down to a particular case, let's say of a notorious sinner or an obvious sinner or a caught sinner, and everybody's being caught around these days, then there's then they revert to to the canons of the church and uh, somebody said but you don't understand these bishops are in an impossible position how can they show the lo- christian love and forgiveness when they're so fraught by legal um stipulations and circumstances hedging them in and i say well either they 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 decide to be the voice of our lord and and skip the legal stipulations and pay the penalty and be martyred for it or they um they should stop being bishops and and but basically this person was saying, you can't be a Christian and a church leader at the same time. In other words, if you try to exercise 70 times 7 in actual terms, say you're an administrator in the church or a bishop, you can't do it. So the, if, if, if one of them has got to go, it's going to be, you know, the former, the, the mercy. I, I see it so often, this situation, and I almost want to say to my friends, some of them are very wonderful young leaders in the church who are shouting to the rooftops 70 times 7, 70 times 7, don't say it too loud unless you're prepared to actually do it in your own case, because you probably aren't. I mean, the actual fact is you probably aren't. I mean, I could talk about Tully and Tavidian, and I could talk about all the people who talked about, oh, you know, as far as the East is from the West, so is your, you know, I mean, people who said, you know, he, he, he sees beyond. It's as if you never got the abortion, or you never did the stealing, or you never committed, da-da-da-da-da-da. That's how marvelous God's grace is. And um, it, uh, but it's compartmentalized, because when actually push came to shove, who stood by uh, this uh, uh, person? Who, who stood by a broken man? Who, who did? I mean, I'm not trying to take any credit whatsoever. I would hope for the same, but I don't expect it, sad to say. Who would, who would stick by? I'm, I'm dealing with another situation now where the mercilessness, two situations, where the mercilessness of the Church of Jesus Christ, I almost said of Latter-day Saints because it's about, I mean, when the, the, the mercilessness of the institutional church uh, on people who've gotten themselves, I don't care how profoundly troubled uh, they've become and what they've done. I don't care what they've done because Jesus made no distinctions. He said 70 times 7 times 7 times 7. One of the great things about Paula White, whatever you may think of her or whatever you read about her, most of which is not true, the vast majority of which is made up and it fits a kind of, quote, narrative, end of quote, uh, that people put her into, she is a forgiver. I mean, I've seen it in action. I've watched it. And one of her tweets was, you know, we know, the one thing we do know is that God forgives once, twice, thrice, four times, five times, six times. And he said 70 times seven. And she not only uh, actually practices this in her work and her staff and the situations, some of which I know a little bit about. I watch her a little bit, uh, uh, closer than the television, at least, shall we say. But she she pre-preaches it in such a way that you feel she really means it. Whereas so many of these people, well-intentioned, who talk about, you know, the, the God who raced me to the bar, you know, raced me to the to the worst thing, the worst situation I could ever get myself into. But he's already there. But they do they actually believe it if it comes to their wife or their husband? I was talking to a, a woman who, who said, you know, I'll never, ever be unfaithful to my husband. And, and I said, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. But why do you say it? She said it with incredible fear. Said, oh, because he would kill me. <laughs> And he, well, that's, by the way, that's almost a guarantee of an acting out. 
that that attitude, that 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 position, both of the husband as she sees it and herself, that's almost a guarantee of an acting out. You're almost calling upon that. This is a character in uh, uh, Splendor in the Grass, the old 1963-64 movie with Natalie Wood, who is uh, entitled, who, whose entire life uh, is based on a a protest of, to um, to to someone who speaks like that and. Uh, she dies in a car crash. Now, what I'm trying to say is um, the uh, power of um, of the Christian faith resides into an absolute resides within an absolutely either or division between the law and the gospel. That's a one way of putting it, or between you what Paula White would say between the natural and the supernatural. By which she means the way the world works sometimes even seemingly with some degree of eleemosynary effect or altruism in certain cases when there's certainly when there's certain kinds of um, forces in play uh, it sometimes turns out apparently okay uh, there's the natural but never ultimately because it's not based on anything but measurement and tweaking never never use the word tweak ever 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 um and um or the supernatural, which is a complete contradiction to the natural. Now, here we come to the second point, and the final point I want to make. Um, the uh, power of Demi's films and the power of what uh, really um, the Christian faith is leading us into is a uh, an either-or. Uh, faith is, is an either-or. Uh, it, it, it's uh, um, the, the life of the Spirit becomes really a, a negation of the of the of the old uh, dead and decaying and uh, fundamentally destroyed and nullified uh, ego uh, Josh Redder was saying that recently in something he wrote and uh, faith nullifies that and brings us in contact to what the sort of contemplative prayer types would talk about when they say the true self the real nature of love is completely without distinctions when when she says uh, when she says in Love Story by Eric Siegel, I mean it, it took a, a Jewish writer who was a classicist to to get this so completely right, and people reacted against it so much. Even I remembered when I saw it in 1970, 69. I, 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 something inside me a little bit put up resistance when when she says to Oliver Barrett the Fourth, Jenny Cavallari in Love Story, when she says love means never having to say you're sorry. I mean, does anybody read that anymore? When I mean, she meant it. She meant it, and he he lived it out. Uh, it brings tears to your eyes. The movie is considered very sappy today, and it's the object of an almost official, an actual official derision at Harvard College today. But it's not right, because when you actually see the movie, with all its certain, the music, and there's a little bit of sappiness in it, there's no question about it, in tone, but the power of love never means never having to say you're sorry. That is... Um, that is really what we're talking about. And when she exemplifies that and to him and he to her at the end of the movie and to his father finally, now that's the true voice of the Christian faith. Love means never having to say you're sorry because that kind of love always means that you do say you're sorry. This is how it always works. I'm thinking of Sarah Condon's preaching and how she says it and how Mockingbird says it again and again and again. Do you mean it? That's the, my only question. Do you actually mean it? Anyone who uses this word, did Eric Siegel mean it? Well, she died. Jenny Cavalieri died saying that and believing it. And, and his whole new life was founded upon a, a revolutionary, supernatural vision that love means never having to say you're sorry. And isn't that funny? I didn't expect to move into the 1969 movie Love Story uh, for one single second. And yet that's what came 
Um, so I conclude this little cast by uh, underlining the uh, necessity of your analyzing yourself. You say it. You talk about it. But in cases, if it came close to home, if it was your wife or your husband, it's easy to forgive a child, a natural child. But if it's your wife, your husband, your boss, your friend, um, yourself, then where do you stand with all this talk about 70 times 7? I've seen Pastor White actually do it, not just say it. And I've seen a few people do it, but very, very few when it came down to themselves or to others to whom they were extremely close. That was a bridge too far, and they reverted to the natural, which is to basically advise the heck out of you, um, preach the heck, quote, end of quote, lecture the heck out of you, give you all sorts of good advice the heck out of you, but give you absolutely no space to actually develop by the Holy Spirit into God's person. And that's where I wanted to focus and to say that finally, both the love of God and the grace of God and the communication of that which is supernatural, i.e. the new being, and that which is natural, which is the old man. Um, remember, you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. And uh, when that becomes clear and apparent, you realize you're dealing with two different entities. And finally, the love of God in a person's heart is... Um, is, uh, is an either-or phenomenon. It creates a person that appears to be both and. I mean, if I'm loved without having to say I'm sorry, then I start believing that I want to say I'm sorry in a million ways, and all sorts of wonderful things happen from my pocketbook to my relational life to my, uh, the way I see my body uh, and the way I see anything you want to name. But uh, it starts with an either-or that seems to affect or have the consequence of what appears to be a both-and, although it is actually a both-and that, that, that contains endemically within it this either-or of, uh, of the complete integrity of uh, love means never having to say you're sorry, which always affects a uh, remarkable contrition and lifelong remorse, but never on the front end. Thank you so very much. And now we hear uh, my favorite song by Spirit. Thank you very much.